Hello, and welcome to the March episode of the Waterlog Podcast. My name is Dan Janolfi. And I'm Howard Marlowe. Thanks very much to the American Shoreline Podcast Network and Coastal News Today for hosting us. Today's topic is a question. Has coastal leadership finally arrived? But first, I actually want to touch on something because we've been receiving emails and calls from a few of our listeners. Um, to our <laughs> surprise, we're very pleased, very grateful to have those. And uh, they've been wondering what we do uh, in our day jobs and for a living and how we you know, ended up doing Waterlog and started our podcast with you. Uh, I guess this is our third year. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's talk about Warwick Group Consultants. That uh, owes its history to 1984 and to being involved with local governments who had coastal resilience issues and were looking to the federal government to uh, get assistance. And, and that involved Corps of Engineers stuff, and that is what we've been involved with for a large part of the history of Warwick Group Consultants. They also wanted something else. They wanted to have policies, and we'll get to one of those policies uh, in, later in our broadcast. But they also wanted to have policies that showed strong support, not only for their projects, but for federal support for coastal communities and for smart policies along the core coast, rather. Because uh, let's say regional sediment management, a program that we were involved in drafting and putting into law. Uh, Still something in, in process, but it's something that they wanted, and we were very uh, pleased to have the opportunity to do that. So we've represented uh, local governments, state governments, nonprofits, all of those folks, and being involved in both lobbying, consulting, grant writing, getting uh, funding through uh, appropriation bills and the like. Really anything on the coast, you know, involving beaches. Yeah, you know, and Warwick Group and formerly Marlowe and Company has been there. Um, represented over 150 clients, right. uh, well over a billion dollars in appropriations throughout the time you've been in business, um, as well as you know a number of the legislative uh, achievements you have with regional sediment management and the Shore Act and other things that uh, not the Shore Act, the uh, the Shore Protection Shore Act. Shore Protection yes. Act. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. The uh, a lot of the stuff that we do, as you know, is working with Corps of Engineers in the trenches. So let's say a client has a feasibility study. The good news is they have the feasibility study. The bad news is they have the feasibility <laughs> study because there are a lot of things from delays to other things that can go wrong. We work with our clients on a literally daily basis. Uh, we have a client uh, for 20 years where we have been on project delivery team meetings. Those are joint meetings with the core, the client, any consultants that have been along, um, involved along the way, and we've been there uh, every other week. We've gotten other people involved when we needed the Coastal Center expertise from the Corps involved. They were involved. So a lot of things like that yep. uh, that really take up a lot of our time and really produce satisfaction when you can realize that somebody says, no, no, we can't do it that way, or perhaps a deadline slips. Or perhaps the client suddenly doesn't understand why this particular change in the study plan was made and what impact it's going to have. And you can help them out. And I think that's a large part of the benefit that we have. Yeah, I think our clients see a, a, a ton of value in just us helping them navigate the core process. I mean, it's literally... To, people have said, you know, you, you pretty much you should have a pension from the core because, you know, it's almost oh. like you've worked there. Yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, it, it takes such a long time to understand the core process and procedures that you know our, our clients really value the ability to guide them through that, and then have the additional component of working with their members of Congress, which as a federal agency is extremely important. And to have the relationships with the core. Most of our clients work with the core at the district level. We have relationships at the division level and at headquarters, and very often headquarters has been very helpful to us. We say, hey, we're here seeing this going on. We need your advice. And uh, intervention every now and then. They don't like to do it. It's it's the army, but it's not command down. You know, somehow, you know, it doesn't quite work that way. But nevertheless, they have been very helpful. And, and to have those connections, including with the assistant secretary's office. Mm-hmm. And if you can call it connections with OMB, yes, we have those as well. And uh, so I, I joined Warwick Group about five years ago uh, as a policy advisor. And um, since then, uh, together, we've identified really other other ways that uh, local governments, nonprofits can receive assistance from the core, whether it's through the CAP programs or planning assistance to states that we've mentioned. Um, this is all done through our firm Coastal Strategies, which we've men- mentioned uh, on the podcast before. And um, I really see that as the future of the core. Um Really, you can get engineering expertise at a fifty at a fifty percent cost share. You know, depending on what you're going for, and um, there's a, a lot of the programs we mentioned on here, from regional sediment management to planning assistance to the continuing authorities programs, um, are are really the future of the core. And I think we've looked at it in, this, in a holistic point of view, because it's no longer project by project. Uh, even though it might get down to that in the end, there has to be a look at what's going on in the community, what's going on in the region, and being able to apply all the resources. There are other agencies that we can bring in, and we have tide gauges that we're helping a community to get that come, uh, hopefully will come from NOAA or with NOAA assistance. There are other things from FEMA. We have clients who are doing great job in being able to do the community um, rating system mm-hmm. and, and being able to save money on flood resistance. Uh, and um, But planning assistance to states and a couple of other core technical assistance programs really help communities get a grasp on their future. Because if you can do that and understand where the flooding is coming from, how it's coming, why it's coming, not just the storms that are obviously bringing it, but the sunny day flooding and the other things like that, then you have a better grasp on what you can do. Maybe pumping systems and stormwater assistance that you can get in terms of being able to deal with it better. And then living... um, what am I thinking of here? Living shorelines. Living shorelines. Thank you. I mean, all of these things go hand in hand. Yeah. So, and and really, from a regional standpoint, or region, you know, the idea of regionality, which another one, another thing we've talked about is everything fits into a regional perspective, a holistic perspective of how to manage resources on the coast, and uh, so that's what we do. You know, Warwick Group's really focused on working with Congress and lobbying for appropriations and legislation and other issues, coastal strategies, also works with Congress, but not in as much of a lobbying capacity, um, and can really, uh, almost want to say, move quicker, right? Because you can you can get into a planning assistance to states uh, it's you know, just agreement. A it's yeah. just a letter, and you can have that done in just a few months, Yeah. right? So uh, Money is there. You know, there's there's lots of money for the technical assistance. Tons. Yes. Even since we started doing this podcast, it has more than tripled. Yes. And, and it's available. 
It obviously needs to qualify and things like that, but the qualification is not difficult at all. And we've helped clients do that. And it really, even helped open it up yes. to nonprofits and institutes of higher education. Yeah. So this is cle- clearly a program we love, and you're, this is not the last time you're going to hear about it. No. So uh, back to our original question today, has coastal leadership finally arrived? Uh, there are two legislative proposals that we want to talk to about today on Waterlog. Um, both were recently introduced in the Senate and have significant importance to coastal America, um, and both sponsored by senior members uh, of both parties, which show that even in this era of extreme partisanship, climate change and the coast have strong supporters uh, among members of Congress. Howard, why don't you uh, talk about those two bills? Yeah, happy to, because last uh, podcast we talked about the need for leadership. I think leadership has arrived. We're seeing it from Congress. And these two bills are examples of that. Here's what I'm thinking about here. There's uh, one bill that is the National Climate Adaptation and Resilience Strategy Act, S3531. Senator Chris Coons is the primary sponsor. He's a third-term Democrat from Delaware supplemented by a Republican from Alaska, Senator Murkowski. Senator Collins, Republican from Maine. Senator Rosen from Nevada. Nevada? Yes, <laughs> we'll get to why in a moment. Uh, you know, Democrat. And there's a reason for that, incidentally. Not for her being a Democrat, but a reason for her being a sponsor. And Senator Cassidy from Louisiana. The reason for this is that it, the bill requires a unified, collaboratively developed national climate adaptation and resilience strategy. So that is coast and, resi- and riverine. And therefore, what you want to be sure is that from a national perspective, there is some strategy going on. So to achieve that, this bill would create a chief resilience officer appointed by the president, would also have several working groups as well as related panels of state and local governments as well as NGO stakeholders, nonprofit organizations that are stakeholders. Well, there's likely to be a debate about a lot of the details in the bill. I think it's a great bipartisan objective of creating a national climate resilience and adaptation strategy administered by one White House office. It's both meritorious, it's achievable, it is definitely needed. Now, we have a lot of different climate officers going on in different places. States and local governments understand resilience officers. They have them. Many of them have they, them already. Uh, created the positions themselves in, yes. in many, you know, they, many they states. They have them themselves, exactly. Say, we need this. We'll create it. And you can understand, that, therefore, the need for that on the federal level. Now, I don't remember the number of federal agencies. It clearly is more than two dozen who have a coast, just the coastal part. Of, of their responsibility on resilience. You had the riverine, and then you had an urban flooding, which is increasing, and which is Nevada experience, Southwest having severe problems with urban flooding, and parts of California, et cetera. Then you understand that there is somebody needed to pull this stuff together. Just that job at the federal level alone would constitute a bill and a reason for a bill. Now, advocated in some forgotten piece that I've written that there ought to be some federal office to pull together all the other federal offices that uh, have a resilience function, but so be it for that. 
so I think this bill is an important one. We also have the Shoreline uh, Health Oversight Restoration Resilience and Enhancement Act. Conveniently named the Shore Act, double R. Yep, thank goodness, S3624. Um, now, its long name belies some of the very basic and extremely important of coastal objectives that it stated just in its opening sections. I'm going to just pick out two. And this is just general policy first. We'll get to specifics in, you know, in a little yeah. bit because there are definitely things we want to mention. But just generally, what is, the, what is the bill? What's the policy of the bill? Quoting from section one, just taking a piece of the quote. So it's the policy of the United States to protect and restore the shorelines of the United States from damaging impacts of climate change and other factors contributing to the vulnerability of coastal communities and ecosystems. Notice coastal communities and ecosystems. But we're going to cut back to the importance of just that statement alone in a minute. The protection and restoration of shores, number is number, paragraph number two, from erosion and other damaging forces exacerbated by climate change. It says that they shall be restored to a primary mission of the Corps of Engineers in carrying out water resources development projects. Coastal project restoration, storm damage rest, uh, restoration, is the smallest function of the Corps. The fact that it's small doesn't mean it can't be primary. And this bill says it ought to be primary. Not since the 1990s has Corps, has Congress, hopefully this bill hasn't been enacted yet, but has any bill introduced in Congress tried to make it clear that protecting our shores is a primary mission of the Corps and is a primary, I would say, uh, policy of, the, of, the, of Congress. Mm -hmm. Now, what was done in 1996 is really being expanded upon here in very significant and different ways. It really updates that legislation, goes far beyond it, addresses the extraordinary needs of the 21st century when you are talking about sea level rise, flooding, and erosion. So, you know, let's say that, uh, and let's get on a couple of things that actually that are even, from a policy point of view, very important that people will understand. The bill says that shoreline protection and restoration measures must be formulated to increase resilience. That's significant, and those so many of you listening in will understand that that is a, perhaps a conflict with trying to design a project to increase the resilience of the NED benefits, which are the current guidelines under principles and guidelines. I'm not going to try to get into right now what the differences may be, but we learned from Hurricane Sandy that, let's say, the dune height, which was uh, the NED-defined dune height of those projects, needed to be increased. So they were increased afterwards using su supplemental funding. Now, NED benefit also includes a benefit-cost ratio, which really, I think the scientific word would be sucks. Because the bottom line is that it really doesn't capture all the benefits. It doesn't capture the, the tourism benefits. It doesn't capture the job benefits. It doesn't capture the social disruption benefits. And there'll be people who say, oh, NED could include. No, sorry, it doesn't. From a practical point of view, the project is, 
that comes out has got to be designed to a rather archaic core definition of BCR. So the bill then goes on to put ecosystem restoration projects, which by their nature have no monetized benefits, but have huge benefits. Real benefits, right? Yeah. <laughs> Physical it puts benefits. Them on the same level of importance as coastal storm damage reduction benefits, projects rather. So I think those are huge. Now, there's more to the bill than just that. Um, but I want to mention, before we get into the things that I want, that Dan's going to talk about, uh, let's talk about sponsors. It's powerhouse. Senator Tom Carper, Delaware Democrat, chairs the Senate Environment and Public Works Committee. Senator Bill Cassidy on that committee, Republican from Louisiana. On the House side, there's going to be an equally bipartisan bill that has been introduced, not going to be, it has been introduced by Representative Lisa Blount Rochester of Delaware and Republican Garrett Graves of Louisiana. Its number is H.R. 6705. The bill sponsors intend that most of its provisions, this is House and Senate, actually be included in a water bill that's being developed. This summer. Yes. So if you look at the bills right now, either one of those, take uh, H.R. 6705, you can get it on congress.gov. Real easy to look at the bills. Or just take the fact sheets about the bills that you can find, uh, you know, let's say on the Environment and Public Works um, Committee's uh, website. All you have to do is, is see that there are project authorizations already contained in that bill. It's almost like a mini word of bill. Mm-hmm. So um, those are things that, uh, in a broad perspective, uh, which I think make this year's water process very exciting. But there's some other things that yeah, you want to talk about. Yeah, in terms of general about. policy, it's, it's great to see those types of things. I mean, just to, to have – so many times we've been in meetings, whether it's been OMB, and you really feel like the coast is secondary, right? And you, 40% of the population lives somewhere near the coast. Well, if you're talking to OMB, yeah. they would be saying – that it is not a federal responsibility. They would say it is the responsibility of the local governments because they're getting the tourism income. And so their salvation from sea level rise and the like is their responsibility. That has at least been their position in the past. If they are changing, I would like to see it. But the fact of the matter is this bill says they ought to change. Now, in terms of specific projects, the bill also extends uh, for another 50 years the authorizations of seven beach nourishment projects in Delaware, Florida, and Georgia that were due to lose federal uh, federal renourishment funding in the next few years. Now, this is a big one. We have a client who's uh, actually one of the old. Is Miami older or is Tybee older? I think they're both around. Tybee is older. Tybee than is older. Miami right. Beach. Yeah, it's the only. It's the oldest existing uh, beach project that had a 50-year component to it. So it was first, and now so it's also going to be first to time out. Yes. Right, if it's 50. Now, this is a project that was only authorized for, what, 15 years? Extended, extended again, and I think it's extended either the second or third time for a full 50 years. Yes. Uh, now, this is, we tried to get this project reauthorized for an additional 15 years. The problem is, again, BCR. And not, and really for the wrong reason, because this is, a community that has helped construct its own dunes. They've raised houses. They've they've really done everything that the federal government really asks a community to do. And here they are getting punished for doing such a good job, because 
when the core runs its models, it says, oh, well, you don't need the extra protection. Yeah. We all know storms are going to keep coming, right? You know, so this is a big one. It is. You know, even Miami Beach can't get a positive BCR, except for the fact they've got an exception. What they got, and it didn't require Congress being involved, they were able to, I don't know, maybe the congressional delegation was no doubt involved because they've been outspoken on this. They were allowed to take uh, foreign tourism revenues into account in, de in determining their BCR. No other project in the country can include tourism, domestic or foreign, in their basic BCR. They got that exception and may get them over the one-to-one -one ratio. So just understand it is not so easy to make that BCR um, if you have a wide beach and if you've done things on your own to create really setbacks and stuff like that. And these are all still NED benefits. Yes. So really, they're what they also call RED, regional economic developments and other social effects. Exactly. So those are the other accounts that do have, that are accounted for, but they are really, that figure isn't looked at. Right. Yeah, Congress is saying in the last several years, you got to give equal consideration. At one point, they said, well, you have to put those benefits into your report. They haven't counted the same. For example, people getting out to use the beach to exercise, hard to put a dollar figure on that. But there are studies that have done it, and you get people a lot healthier because they're getting out, and they're, you know, there 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 is a, there is a value to that. So yeah, it's not counted. <clears throat> uh, another issue uh, that has been ping ponged between the Trump and Biden administrations um, is uh, an issue we've talked in here before about the Coastal Barrier Resources Act. You'll, you'll hear us use the word cobra to describe that, and that's involving the use of sand from an authorized borrow site located in a cobra unit to place on an authorized. Uh, beach nourishment project located outside of the COBRA unit. The bill says that any additional costs that result from having to identify or choose an alternative borrow site, one offshore, farther, farther out at sea, will be borne entirely by the federal government. This provision applies to four uh, core projects in New Jersey, South Carolina, and North Carolina, but it also applies to future core projects. Um, now, each of these provisions will undoubtedly be welcomed by the affected communities um, that are the project non-federal sponsors, but there's really a bigger issue here. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, there's a, the issue here, and it could be said that it's there with the 50-year provision that we just talked about as well. The, the issue is one of money. Well, let me say that this, this provision looks very, very good from the outside. It does. And, and yeah, I just well, want to say that before you break it down, because there, is, there are details of understanding how the core gets its money. Yeah, which, e exactly. From a policy point of view, what this is extremely good at is saying, okay, uh, Borough of Avalon, New Jersey, also a client where we're affected, or uh, Wrightsville Beach, North Carolina. If you're going to, instead of using the authorized borrow site, uh, you're going to have to go offshore then uh, to look at a borrow site. Uh, That's going to cost you. It's going to cost you more. And well, the federal government will pick up that cost. Okay. Where does the federal government pick up that cost? Not from this bill. It has to pick it up from appropriation bill. Right now, what Congress calls shore protection projects are $200 million total. I would even break that down further, that placing sand on the beach never gets more than $120 million in the course of a year. So now getting, let's say it costs 
I don't know, what would you say? Five million more to go out? Ten million more? I'd add an extra 10, 15 percent okay. onto every project. How much more do you have to add? Can you add 10, 15 percent to the course budget? Exactly. And specifically to the shore protection budget? Exactly, to that part of the course budget. And to and add that the Corps' total funding annually has really remained flat in real, real, real dollars yeah, over the past Yeah, as much as the numbers are great, Congress has really done a great job of keeping the Corps, in terms of regular appropriations, at a level, appropriation level. Now, what's gotten it above that is the Jobs Act and things like that. And they're flush. And so they are flush with money right now. But that money is going to specific purposes, and this ain't one of them. Mm -hmm. So... You know, the thing that has to be watched on this and for the communities that are involved, just understand that they're going to have to be advocating for higher dollar figures for their projects. For that additional federal appropriation that's going to be coming is going to be tacked on to their project. And so let's say a project that costs uh, maybe 15 million is now going to cost 20, 25 million. And so therefore, they're going to have to be advocating for that. I can remember the earmark days, because we're back in earmark days, mm -hmm. when we had a client who needed $13 million and they got $3 million one year, $3 million the next year. I mean, finally had to wait for a storm to get them some of the, the final tranche of money that they needed. And they got renourished. They needed to get renourished every three years. They were already behind. <laughs> so just think of that, folks. Uh, it isn't that uh, we're saying that that's a bad provision. We're just saying that these... Don't come with money. They're good policies. They have to be implemented with money. Good. It will take tens of millions of uh, federal dollars over the next uh, few years to implement the last two provisions. Um, money only comes from uh, separate appropriations bills. And like you said, barring disaster supplementals, Congress has in the most recent years provided between 50 and 60 million annually to place sand on the beach. Actually, Ooh, less I, than we even discussed. That's less than I thought. Yeah. Um, so... Just things to keep in mind. It's it it cannot, you know, it cannot. It is extremely important that these bills are coming out right now, and we are both thrilled to see some leadership. And you know, these are issues that we've been discussing with members of Congress and staff for literally for you decades. Yes, and there there isn't a time that we have a discussion about it, even a, just a client, if I use that term, just and say we're not also talking about overall policies that are going on that are adversely affecting uh, coastal communities in general, uh, and the lack of policies in some cases. So I'm really thrilled, thrilled, uh, and very thankful to uh, uh, Chairman Carper and, and to the House sponsors, uh, Representative Blunt uh, Rochester, and, and to uh, Congressman Graves, for getting these out there. And the process for dealing with them is going to be a little different on the Senate and the House because Senator Carper is the chairman of the committee that handles WERDA. And I assume if he wants to put all or some parts of that, of his bill into WERDA, that he'll have a powerful voice on that. Hopefully you folks who are interested in these provisions